it's time for the everyman where real man talks. Let's go. Time to grind, get inside your mind. Yeah, we working overtime. That's the only way to climb. We gon' make it in our prime. Signing on the dotted line, cashing checks left and right. That's the way I'm living life. Uh, I feel alive when I got a goal in sight. Chip away, I gotta fight. Ain't nobody else in sight. Man, I think I see the light. Yeah, that shit is so bright. Follow me, I got the guy. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Everyman Podcast. Tonight we have a very special guest. We have Ollie Newton. He is, I believe, guest number X. I, I've lost count of how many guests we've done now. Um, that, that's maybe my old age of 30 kicking in there. Ollie, how are you doing uh, tonight, mate? Yeah, really good, thanks. Really glad to be here. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, we are super happy to get you on tonight. I know we've had um, a few messages over a bit a period of time to get you on, so... Um, great to get you on, especially on a bank holiday weekend. So lucky us. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. So, Dean, James, how are you? How's your weekend slash week been so far? Yeah, good. Right. Really good, good, good day on the on the Monday. Yesterday I was a bit hungover, a bit rough, so I uh, fully recovered and ready to go today. What what were you doing to be so hungover yesterday? What were your plans? Was there anything exciting or just being a little bit of a drunken mess. It's honestly just one of them ones. Nothing really big was planned. End up having a few drinks with me mate and his missus and my missus. Um, and it just kept going and going and going. And then we seen the sunrise. Yeah. One of them ones. Oh, the, birds started, the birds started tweeting and we're like, oh God, this is not good. But, yeah, that is, uh, that's not good. So you spent, are you saying you spent pretty much Easter Sunday lying around being hungover? Yeah, sleep deprived as well. I must have only had about four hours sleep, if that. So oh, I'm uh, fully recovered today. Had a lot of sleep last night. So brilliant. Well, I have to be honest. That is um, a big reason for me in my head why I'm happy to not be drinking currently because I definitely didn't lose any of my weekend to being hungover. So um, that's a one nil me. Dean, how how how's your week been? Mate? I'm it. Uh, me, me mother-in-law's just gone back to Japan uh, after being here for five weeks. I know everyone will probably grimace at that, thinking five weeks with a mother-in-law, mm. but um, it's actually sound. You know, I should, should it's wicked when she's here. I do nothing. I want for nothing. You know, I don't move. Yeah. I don't have to do anything between that and me misses. So uh, I'm back, back in the swing of things now, doing the dishwasher. You know, uh, making my own food and stuff. So bit of a sort of a reality check for us. Uh, but I yeah. just. Football yesterday, mate. Um, unlucky to get defeated, but at least we're not getting relegated by the looks of things. Thankfully, results went our way. Um, yeah. But i keen to get into this. Uh, thanks for coming on, mate. We're um, really excited to hear about your story and sort of what you do, mate. So really keen to get yeah. into this. Yeah. Yeah. Ollie, I think that's a great tee-up by Dean there. Just for, for listeners, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit about what you do? Um just to give the guests a bit of an idea of who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So um, at the minute, I, I work full well full time as a as a speaker, a mental health speaker. So I deliver talks to uh, organisations and schools and um, and uh, yeah, big companies all over the world. And it's been it's been incredible. Just just sharing my lived experience with mental illness and and um, how my life kind of was turned around. Uh, I found I found quite early on as a as a speaker that it was um, 
I needed to do more, a little bit more to kind of support people on the back of, you know, not just going in there delivering a talk. Uh, I felt like almost like I was throwing in a grenade sometimes and potentially triggering a quarter of the room and then just been, you know, a tick in a box really for some big organisations. So I got the opportunity yeah. to train as a mental health first aid instructor. Uh, so I did the mental health first aid course and then I trained as an instructor and it's been, yeah, it's been incredible. It's, it's the absolute dream job. So I can deliver talks and I can also now support businesses on the back of it uh, alongside uh, another thing that I've got, a little venture I've got, well, I say a venture, it's the one, the thing that got me going in the first place, which is Run For Your Mind, it's, it's a foundation now, it's a charitable organisation, and yeah. I support people who have got mental health problems through the power of running. I give them everything they need, everything, you know, everything they need to get out there and, um, you know, feeling better. So a pair of running trainers, uh, full kit, uh, running plan. And, you know, we support them throughout the, the three-month programme. We enter them in a race at the end, depending on their sort of, like, fitness. Uh, and we look at probably a 10K race to finish. And, and you know, not everybody needs uh, therapy or not everyone can actually afford to wait for therapy. And it's something that's, like, accessible straight away. Yeah, no, that sounds amazing. And I'm, I'm really excited for us to actually delve into that because I think for us as a, a podcast group, that's something that we found as... A therapy for us in order to, to manage our own mental health and ha how we feel just in day-to-day -day life I feel exercise is incredibly powerful at lifting the mood or um, allowing you to de-stress through maybe that that element of release um, but equally when you say around maybe creating obviously it's a foundation where it's more of a community where people feel they aren't alone and, and I think that's something that's truly powerful um, so yeah, really keen to to get stuck into that. Um, Dean James, that that's probably a question for you guys. In terms of your own mental health, how does exercise support you with with sort of your mood and balancing some of the stresses you have in your life? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. So I've never really been big into um, fitness and exercising really. Um, especially when I was younger, because I was just always like fit anyway yeah. without going and doing things. Like, and then as I've got older, like the weights that I get put on, um, I like, obviously drinking more, uh, eating a lot more shit. Then I got married as well, so you know, that goes you always showing making a shit and got all the snacks in. Um, but there, yeah. there was one, one time, there was one time, um, <clears throat> so basically, my, my shift routine is a, di uh, a week of days and a week of nights, so I really find I really struggle to get a routine and get motivated to do things as it's just always changing um so yeah. when i was on permanent days for a while for, it was like a month or something and every day i was working out um and i was reading every night as well and mm -hmm. i just felt so much better in myself i lost a bit of weight uh, i felt more confident mental health has never really been like really bad but like i felt like really good like most of mm -hmm. the time so yeah. it's definitely something I want to get back into. I just really struggle with the routine and being able to um, change what I do when I'm on nights to when I'm on days. So yeah, yeah, something I need to look into. But yeah, yeah. What What about you, Dean? I am um, so you know, a few of you know my story about you know I've been I was massive at one point, like sort of 18, 18 stone. Um, and one of the things I, I got into was a, an organization called uh, Man Versus Fat, uh, which is a football um, 
a football uh, foundation where you basically go and play six aside, but you get a combination score of both of um, you know, a weight loss score as well as an on-the-pitch score. So some some days you might lose the game five four on the pitch, but your team's lost more weight and tracked more tracked what they've eaten and stuff like that and get more goals. So um, you know, something that's massively helped me um with my mental health. Um, especially was getting back into football and you know you know how that's went for me I've sort of lost the weight now I've gone on to play Sunday league um but in terms of men- mental health the the fitness and exercise can't be overlooked for me as to how powerful it is just getting out there you know just getting sunlight in your eyes and stuff early morning and um I know obviously touching on Ollie's you know run for your mind um running something that I'd never ever done give me a football I could run for days. Um, but go out and run in the street. I could barely run a lamppost, you know. But uh, it wasn't until one of my friends told me that I'm just running too fast. And I couldn't get that in my head. I was like, I can't run slower. Um, and as I sort of um, started, I only started in December. Um, and I was running sort of like just under eight minutes, kilometers. And now I'm running sort of just, well, I've run a 22-minute 5K a couple of weeks ago. So uh, I've come on massively. But like I say, I really think anybody listening here, I'm sure Ollie will go into it, but you know, exercise and fitness for your for your mental health it just does wonders. Um, but I, yeah, Ollie, I, th- I think so. I've seen Dean's transformation as lucky enough to be one of his friends and seeing the guy go from, as you say, Dean, easily 18 stone. And I remember when we did the run from Tynemouth to Whitley Bay Lighthouse and back. And I don't know what that is. 10, 12, 15K. 11K, I think it was. 11K. I knew it was somewhere in between that. And you weren't unfit, but you definitely weren't fit. And I remember running and and the paces are slow. And there's there's a big theory around run slow to run fast, isn't there? Mm. And um, I remember doing that run with you and thinking, God, like I, I felt really fit and I'm certainly not fit. And we did a 5K the other day and you absolutely kicked my ass because I'm as unfit as they come at the moment. And um, but, but what's incredible is actually you were not a runner by any means, but just that consistency. And it, you're not going every day. You may be going a few times a week yeah. at that nice steady pace then has allowed you to massively increase um, your speed in things like your 5K, your 10Ks and things, yeah. which is great. Um, Ollie, I, I suppose that leads us on to tell us more because I, I think if there's a community out there, we've kind of done it as a group of mates with no support. And I think it's something that we and our extended group of mates would definitely be interested in in hearing more about. Yeah, I think I can second, I can definitely second what, what Dean's saying. I was never a runner either, actually, at all. I, I despised running, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. But it was... You know, it was actually very much uh, a bit, it was a bit of a mistake, to be honest with you, that I ended up even going running in the first place. But I, I basically was signed off long-term sick at work and, you know, I'd been struggling for a, a very long time. Uh, and I I remember waking up that that morning, I was I was signed off sick and it was, it was kind of boiling hot outside. And I was like, I need to do something. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd had the backing from my workplace at the time because they, they'd seen, you know, how, how much I was struggling and, and I'd actually opened up and spoke to them about it for the first time. And I, and I always had an incredible um, support network around me, even though I did kind of close a lot of doors to, you know, a lot of my friends, a lot of my friendship circles. 
you know, I went from being that kid who who was the person who started everything to very much disappearing off the face of the earth quite quickly. Um, but you know, this is probably you know six six uh, years down the line now when I was when I was signed off long term sick and it was boiling hot outside. I'd, I'd woken up. It was. I, I, I struggled that bad that, you know, I'd open my eyes uh, probably 11 o'clock, but I'd been awake since seven, so I didn't really want to face the day. Uh, and I went into my cupboard and I, put, I pulled out a pair of um, old, like, gym kit from years before when I used to be able to go to the gym before um, my issues, you know, became so severe. And I left the house and I, and I started to kind of um, walk a little bit, then jog a little bit. And then, you know, within about, within about four, 40 minutes, I was... I'd, I'd probably covered about five kilometers, you know, it was, it was like running, walking, running, walking. But yeah. I was, I was with this feeling um, and the feeling was, you know, like nothing I'd felt for, for, for years. Like literally it was, I'd had, I had a moment's respite from these intrusive negative thoughts that were, you know, had haunted me daily. And I, and I pretty much lived for that feeling. And, you know, from that day, it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been an incredible like journey of discovery, like personal, personal, um, recovery and and you know it's allowed me to really step out of the dark and back into the light again yeah yeah so I, I've definitely experienced that myself so I, I fully understand what you're saying with that part I think if, if someone was listening to this and they're in that place where they're not a runner and they are struggling with their mental health and and they're hearing this thing actually if if those guys have done it maybe I can do it but actually they could I've never ran before I'm not into my fitness what would your advice be is it just yeah, get so out there I, put your shoes on and go for a walk no no definitely not I, I'd say you know it's you know for, it's not always that easy and I don't think it's okay. a lot of people don't find it that appealing either I don't think running until you actually really you know you kind of you sort of reap the rewards from what you get from it but you're not it's not something you're just going to get straight away i think for me maybe i did you know have a level of fitness um i don't know how i've maintained it because you know i you know prior to that you know i'd lost weight through like um diets and things because i was you know i was eating a lot of the wrong stuff when i was really struggling um yeah. and and like and like dean dean i was probably 17 18 stone as well so at one stage i was you know, really, really overweight, really, really miserable. Um, so the, some of the best, you know, the best advice I'd give is probably look at something like the Couch to 5K app. Um, it's an incredible app that's, you know, supported by the NHS and it just gets you, you, you can change all the voices and stuff. So you can have like, I believe there's like different people, like different celebrities talking you through the journey. You can select, um, you know, someone who you like to listen to and, uh, and it'll just get you up to that 5k distance and, I, and and you know that is where that's when you start to kind of realize and, and, and kind of get the real benefits from running when you can run a park run comfortably and you enjoy it then all of a sudden you've got this you know I, I like to say it's kind of like it's like a, it's like ammunition really you've got something that's always there that you can just kind of re rely on to just kind of get you back out there and doing something you know uh, and and yeah, that, that's, I think that's an incredible app. But also, you know, if, if you are really are struggling with your mental health, we do support people through um, the Run For Your Mind Foundation. I've tried to switch the focus on to supporting more people um, from like a youth age, so like 14 to 18, because I believe that that's where a lot of the problems lie. 
um mm-hmm. and and you know i'm 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 very aware of the statistics around mental health and a lot of you know 50 percent of mental illness starts before you're 14 and and 75 percent starts before you're 21 so you know really that's the the, the sort of time we want to be kind of really uh, getting these people talking and then getting getting them out and managing it and on on top of it if, the, if there is actually something there yeah I, th- I think you're right we've touched on this on other episodes of the podcast actually around education around mental health being such a key part of society that's missing so uh, we've we've discussed this before but probably around the fact that us as a group of james is a bit younger than us but me and dean are, i'm 30 dean's i think 31 32 um we didn't really hear about mental health till around 20 it wasn't a th- it just wasn't a thing now that could have been 10 years ago mental health wasn't as big in society potentially as it is today it, it seems to be talked about a little bit more than than it was but equally it was never discussed in school if you were struggling you kind of just had to crack on but now my dad's in the military and um his ethos for me growing up was always just crack on work hard like you can push through it you'll be fine um and that stood me in really good stead for lots of phases of my life but actually and it's not by any means a discredit to him but not having the ability and, and outlets in other areas of my life maybe through school or i played football and there, there wasn't um the, those those support mechanisms to really help me open up to understand myself to make sure that i was okay mentally um and when i look at today with the added pressure of social media the the feeling of kids nowadays who are and, and it terrifies me thinking like I, I have a, a nine-month-old son it terrifies me thinking kids today who are 14 think that being a millionaire is super easy because on instagram everyone's rich and they drive a being like a bmw or a bugatti or a ferrari i started low there with a bmw by the way but in comparison to those cars but like they, they think it's so achievable just to to get these material things like that and it it really worries me that we have this this um this future generation of of young people coming through who are used to getting everything through that instant gratification through in my opinion social media feeding that when they then step into the real world it terrifies me what they're actually going to experience because we've all had the shitty first jobs where we're working for pretty crap money versus what hopefully our career ends up being and life isn't really easy once you become an adult and if if people have underlying issues as a child or as a young teenager that aren't addressed they are only going to be further heightened and um used as potentially a trigger in their life when real tough times come as well once they enter the real world now obviously there's people who go through some severe trauma where maybe that isn't applicable but for me i I don't think i went through any huge severe trauma as a child um but then once i stepped into the 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 harder adult world i think some of the, the the imbalances in my childhood have then potentially impacted my adulthood because I haven't maybe addressed them at an earlier age. So I think the work that you're doing within supporting younger people is is a great cause. Um, how receptive 
have have schools, have I presume potentially councils, local governments. Well, how, how receptive are they to education at a younger age around mental health? It's a good question. It's a difficult one as well because there's um, it, you know it's it's not always that there's a lot of stuff around the the. Um, the like what what the school has in place where it's not always just as easy to have these conversations that you know we'd really want to have uh you know especially yeah. especially around topics like suicide and actually speaking about it and, and being able to kind of address it and, and and have normalized conversations around it i think there's a lot of a lot of stuff in the curriculum that doesn't always you know they, they, they have to adhere to and and, and I believe there's a massive switch. I, I understand like your your point of view from, from in relation to your your dad, and I was very much the same yeah. with my mum and dad. Um, back in the days, you know, when I was having issues, because um, my issues started when I was very young, um, my issues weren't were, were quite were kind of overlooked and not in a in a way of any blame uh, on, on you know to them. It was more it was more like back then. I don't think parents really wanted their kids to be labelled. Whereas in this day and age, parents do want their kids to be labelled because actually they're going to get that extra additional support. They're going to probably get, yeah. you know, more, you know, you know, for example, I've got a, a young, a young lad and, you know, they're, look, they're talking about giving him an iPad over the next couple of weeks, you know, as a part of, sure you know, is. to help him out with his, with his learning. And, um, you know, there's all that incredible stuff in place, but, you know, also it just wasn't talked about. Like, I, I, I feel like everything that I'm, I'm doing, um, I, I, I believe I was a part of a wave maybe six years ago when I set up Run for Your Mind um, five and a half years ago that things start were starting to change and it's been an incredible kind of journey to see from from where we were when we really weren't talking about mental health at all we weren't really talking much about it to yeah. to, to where we are today where it's 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 becoming you know you know mental health as a whole is is becoming more normalized and there's definitely people who don't or don't believe in it and there's you know there's definitely older the older generation i like to call them dinosaurs that kind of don't really kind of you know see the the in you know a lot of the the the, the things that these people are going through or maybe they're just you know that they could be wired differently or they're just they've just like you know that whole that whole thing that you said about just man up or whatever and just and just crack on with it like you know as if as if nothing yeah, yeah. happens there's a big switch yeah. um I, i've been doing a lot of work uh through uh i work for I, I, I partnered with a company called milk education and they're a really cool company Um, they they have different um speakers that go into schools to to try and create these conversations, you know, me talking about OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, everything that I went through with that and the impact that, you know, it had on me, you know, with, with anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation and and, and everything. And, and and then how running was allowed me kind of that, that new lease of life to kind of fight back and, and, and turn my life around. Uh, but there's also other speakers that talk about um, like knife crime, somebody who's lost a, a brother to, 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 who was stabbed, unfortunately. And he goes in and talks about that. Uh, we've got people who are talking about, you know, racism and diversity. Um, uh, people are talking about terrorism, and and you know, there's a big group of us now that go in as almost like influencers for for schools. And I, I don't really like the term influencer actually as a whole because it, it, you see it as a social social yeah. media thing, which I'm certainly don't put myself in that category. But with what we're doing, uh, we're influencing children in the right ways, and it's it's teaching them lessons actually that maybe the teachers wouldn't speak about um and you know we 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 have a little bit more free reign on it yeah i, th I think that that's a 
something that is missing because it's almost like you're a child and, and now we've all obviously been there as now being adults we, we had to get through that part um where the, you're, you're just sheltered within the world is perfect and then you become an adult and it's like holy shit all of this stuff like even now at, at 30 i see things like you watch the news and I, I try my hardest to watch the news as little as possible um and all these terrible things happening in the world all of the time and it's such a scary place but actually there's children who are going through those situations because it's their parents who are potentially going through those situations and they're in those households or in those environments and it's impacting their everyday life. So again, I count myself fairly lucky. I, I didn't, I didn't have a terrible childhood by, by any stretch, especially compared to, to some people, but there will be kids who I went to school with who were having a really terrible childhood and they probably had no, sort of way where to talk to so the work that you guys are doing and i have seen um, milk education's post and the work that they're doing as well the guys seem great uh, and i know they have a podcast too so any listener who's really interested in mental health and stuff i would definitely say go and listen to that podcast too ollie you did a episode on there recently as well and i thought it was absolutely brilliant mate so um huge hats off to you uh on what i've seen on that as well mate yeah, I appreciate that. And just to touch on that, that what you just said, then, because it's a really good, it's a really interesting point. And it's something that I always like to bring up. Like you, we talk about, um, you know, our childhoods and, and and maybe potential trauma that we've been through or, you know, or, or struggles we've had growing up. But what's yeah. really interesting about my story and is that I had the most incredible childhood in, you know, I could have ever asked for. Like I had everything, you know, my, yeah. we lived in a, a, an incredible area. In Sheffield, I grew up. I went to a great school. Um, you know, I never, I never went without anything. I wasn't like a spoiled child, but I never, you know, I, I had everything I needed. Um, yeah. But it just go, you know, it's not. There's not always, you know, these these kind of uh, risk factors or environmental factors that we 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 often see. Where you know, a lot of people were looking at me, and actually, what it did for me was massively impacted my my um, my journey to 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 getting better because. All I was hearing is, is you know, it's all. All I was hearing is, is you know, he shouldn't, you know, he he, you should, you know, you shouldn't be going through this. You've had everything, like, and yeah. actually, that doesn't mean anything. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that because I've had everything, I'm gonna, I'm gonna all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, be everything's gonna be great for the rest of my life. There's obviously some, you know, there's a lot more, you know, internally wrong with me that was, you know, that was overlooked. Yeah. And sometimes I think a childhood that doesn't have potential trauma, and if there's something wrong, apologies if that's not the right terminology, but if there's something with it inside you that needs treated or you need extra support with, then it's only going to, it's worse to not have support at a younger age and be put in situations to, to identify that, I think. Um, yeah, because I, I've definitely as an adult made mistakes that potentially I could have overcome at a childhood age if I was had the ability to talk and, and overcome some of those situations versus because I never really spoke that the the behaviors and um, the way that my, my mind thinks and, and how I respond to certain situations I never really tackled those head-on um, so yeah that's that's definitely something that I'm I'm interested in in hearing more about so Ollie, you've touched on a few things there around how you've 
struggled with OCD and you've had some some issues as you sort of became an adult and you came out of your your childhood do you mind just opening up a little bit around some of the the challenges that you've had and and how they obviously impacted your life yeah grab the popcorn guys we're about to get, <laughs> we're about to go we're about to get into it so my my um my, uh, my my journey actually started with with um my mental mental health when i was about six years old i was i remember the first episode i had and i was over in spain with my family we were walking down a street uh we'd been out for a meal uh and i was with my brother and sister they were two years my brother's two years younger my sister's two years younger than that so they were my little sister was in a pram and my brother you know was was there walking along with us and i walked past this lamppost and i touched the lamppost with my right hand and then i carried on carried on walking thought nothing of it and then about 100 meters down the road i had this this overwhelming urge to go back to that lamppost and touch it if i didn't i felt like my whole family were going to die so i ran back as fast as i could and you know i touched the lamppost and you know I got there, touched it, and I honestly believe that you know I saved everyone's life. No, you know nobody died, and I thought that's it. That, you know I've, I've done that. That one act was to, you know to save everybody. Um, but little did I know that was basically going to be the start of something that was going to materialise. You know into something that was going to be really challenging as I grew older. Um, I, I'd say probably seven, eight years old. I started to do checks of my wardrobes before I went to bed. I'd seen a film on monsters. I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was, but there was monsters in a cupboard, and I was like, you know, I was I was terrified that there could be like a monster in my cupboard. So I'd do one check of my room, uh, and uh, I'd get into bed, and then the next night I'd do a check. But if I made a mistake, I'd add a check to that, you know, a further ritual to the following night's routine. So it would be two checks. And then it got to a stage where, you know, I was probably doing four. I remember 48 really vividly. I was doing probably around 48 checks of, you know, like laps of my room, checking everything thoroughly. It was taking me an hour to an hour and a half just to get into bed on the night. I didn't really know how to explain it to anyone. It was, you know, for my parents, they were in the bedroom underneath me and I was in, see, I was in the attic and, I used to come downstairs because my dad would be banging on the ceiling when I was on lap 46 or something. He's probably thinking, what on earth's going on? And uh, I'd go downstairs and in the next day and he'd be like, what are you doing? It's like sleeping under, you used to say it's like sleeping under Sheffield Greyhound track. And I sounded like a greyhound going around the room. <laughs> um, but I couldn't explain it because, you know, I didn't really understand it. And, and to be honest with you, I couldn't really, you know, looking back, I don't think I could, e I could even kind of... Um, normalize what was happening i couldn't even say like if, you know what i'm doing this if i don't do it then you're gonna die basically mm -hmm. um so you know that kind of continued and you know as i got a little bit older into my teens it was still there but i was still doing the checks but i wasn't actually worried about monsters it was just it was just keeping people alive um stepping on grates on my way to to school and then stepping on them again you know going back touching doors, locking doors, checking doors, making sure things were switched off. And it was, you know, it was frustrating. It was annoying, but uh, I'd say it probably got to a stage where it was debilitating on, a, on an evening, but it never ruined me. It never like, a, I never let, let it consume me. I always kind of carried on and just cracked on and did, did the best I could. Um, but it wasn't until I was, you know, 21 years old, 22, 21 to 22 years old, I went on a night out. And it was just after a night out, my whole life just totally, um, my, my whole life totally fell apart. You know, I, like I said, pre, pre, you know, earlier, I was, I was that person that brought everybody together. I, I'd say I was the guy that, 
you know, most people gravitated to. I was always nice to everyone and I always included everyone and I had massive friendship circles, but they were all different. So I was like a part of loads of them and I'd bring everyone together. And, you know, on a, on a, on a Friday, Saturday night, we'd probably have, uh, when, you know, growing up at my parents, we'd have probably 50, 60 kids there, you know, sometimes up to 100 and some weekends, you know, just my mum and dad were really good about everything. They looked after us and looked after everybody. Um, and it was, yeah, you know, I was I was that person. Then after that night out, we'd it was something really, really small. We went on, you know, we'd we'd been out for drinks. I think I'd had about six pints. I was it. We we'd seen um, one of the lads in one of one of my friends who was in our friendship circle um, cheat on his girlfriend, and we all we all kind of knew like each other's girlfriends. So it was like a bit of a, you know, we weren't really them lads where we were like bad on wrong we didn't want to upset anyone hurt anyone but yeah we'd seen him and and we asked him the next day why he'd done it because we'd all stayed at a friend's house and he just his response was he doesn't remember doing it so it didn't happen um and then all of a sudden right that for me it triggered something within me and it made me start to question myself and i was in a relationship at the time i'd been in a relationship for about two years um and i was you know i was happy i was i was settled i was you know it was you know i was everything was everything was fine and all of a sudden i started to i start to question if he doesn't remember it or whether he did remember it or not he probably did remember it he just didn't want to say it it's just well when he said it it was like all of a sudden i was like imagine if i've done something on a night out and i don't remember it and imagine if i cheated and that to me was like Honestly, at that time, it was like the worst thing that could have ever happened. If I, if I if I'd done something and I hadn't and I didn't remember it, I don't I didn't belong to be I, I didn't belong here. I shouldn't be here. And I, you know, for me, my morals were far too high. It was the way I was raised. Um, and yeah, I just felt like you know, if if, if I'd done something wrong, then I shouldn't be here anymore. And you know, this went on. I, I, I effectively what I was doing is I was going back over every night out that I'd ever been on whilst I'd been in the relationship. I was creating these false memories of like things that could have happened i was having to ask people from the nights out what i was doing and they're like what you want yeah. about why why are you asking us about a night out from you know six months ago and I, and I just yeah i just became totally trapped by these um these thoughts of like you know convincing myself i could have done something wrong and it started off by you know been cheating but then all of a sudden um i, I was trapped you know i was totally you know i was consumed by these intrusive thoughts uh, I was, you know, with rumination and um, I, I was massively struggling with anxiety and I didn't really realise it at the time. And then I just plummeted into a state of depression and I found myself in that state of depression for probably 10 years. Uh, and it was just back and forth, all about my morals. It, you know, I could, it started off by cheating and then it went on to things like I could watch the news and so I could see something about someone hurting someone. And my mind would be like, imagine if you've done that, you know, and then I used to focus on it. You know, and anything that you can think of, anything that you possibly despise, my mind was suddenly convincing myself that I could be that person. Imagine if, you know, imagine if you'd done that. Wow. I, I can't even imagine. So, sorry, mate. I'm almost a bit taken back by that that thought when you put it in your own mind of your mind almost tricking you of you could be that person or you could have done that. Because we've all woke up the next morning with a bit of beer fear. What did I say? I drank too much. I spent too much. I can't believe my mate's got a video of me dancing like an idiot on the dance floor. But th there's that rational part in your brain that goes, well, it's just 
whatever you can you can move on past it the group chat the lads might have your life a little bit but then in a couple of days you're fine so i can't even really imagine how that must feel where you can't escape that thought um that the, the probably was a question around so you discussed it's going back to your childhood actually so you were saying initially it was on a nighttime where you were you were walking around doing the laps of your bedroom sort of the 46 48 um laps was it affecting you in your everyday life in school uh, no and, and you know what it's really common with ocd to, to to focus on kind of like routine sort of things so like you know like when like a lot of people a lot of kids struggle with you know like routine times mainly at home so it's like when you're um when you're brushing your teeth for example you might have to do it for ages or you know when yeah. you're going to bed it's that routine that you kind of structured routine or when you're having your breakfast or leaving the house in the morning um yeah. actually at school um i don't I, I remember the thoughts creeping in when i was about 15 and i was having intrusive thoughts on a similar level to what was happening when i was 20 22 but i i was able to back then after about a month i was able to put you know you know switch you know actually label them for uh, as irrational thoughts i didn't know i was doing that back then but looking back i must have managed to get on top of it and then it didn't yeah. you know didn't didn't really get me again till i was till i was um till i was 20 22 years old but yeah it was it's really common with ocd to latch on to sort of your your your, your ritual your routine sort of things on an evening um and i'm not it's not to say a lot of people wouldn't go through it at school i just i just didn't that that badly i was probably step you know I was, i'll have been stepping on grades and things like that but probably not it's not something that was massively impacting me i was just cracking on i guess yeah. at, at school and just dealing dealing with these little these little rituals and 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 i was very active at school i was you know i was i was like i, I was you know enjoyed playing football i was quite you know i was quite in with them sort of crowds i was always busy so maybe that was actually subconsciously helping me like running does now and it was might yeah, have been yeah. when I, you know might have actually been when i left school that you know these things start to get a, a bit worse because looking back i was drinking uh, you know at 18 i was going out i wasn't actually really enjoying the night like a lot of my friends were i was just drinking to an excess like actually mm. i think i was probably self-sabotaging and you know maybe putting you know maybe taking a bit more risk than a lot of other people because i was managing these these things anyway and you know i've I, i'll talk about it potentially you know in a bit if if, if you like but I, I was diagnosed with adhd two years ago a year and a half ago and that's been actually you know it's been life-changing for me because had that been addressed when i was younger when it was spoke of i think my life could have been a, a very different because it does seem like the OCD and the ADHD were very much playing, you know, part and parcel and entwined. Yeah, um, I'll jump in. Uh, we, I'd love to hear about your story with your ADHD, so we will go back to that. Um, uh, back to your school days when you had the little things about walking on the grates and stuff. Um, I don't know if it's came from someone saying, or oh, if you walk on these, like it's bad luck or whatever. Because yeah, I remember. I, I, yeah, I, 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 you, you guys laughing now. Um, so even like now, um, I've always done it just to wind up the person I was walking with. Uh, so I'm not really affected by it, but I'll go with a wife and that, and she's like, I don't walk on the drains. So obviously <laughs> I'll walk on the drains. But like, <laughs> when, when you're a child and you're in school, um, I think like things that people say to you, like, they really stick 
like things yeah. like that as well. Because I mean, like, adults are still doing it where they won't walk on these greats. I won't. Bad luck, however. That's three greats yeah. is bad luck, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I still won't walk on that. Two's, two's good luck, guy. Yeah. Can't explain um, then, why I was so impacted. Then, if that's the case, <laughs> that's where all the bad luck came from. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cheers, James. Yeah. Cheers, James. All your fault, mate. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, and then, so the the fair, well, the, the the day where you got that really intrusive, uh, repetitive thought of what have you done uh, on previous nights out that you might not remember. Um, obviously, it came from a night where you were drinking alcohol. Um, after that night, and you were getting these thoughts, did you? Blame it on the alcohol, sort of. Um, and then did that affect your relationship with alcohol going forward from that? What a great question that no one's ever asked me. And it did massively, yeah, massively impact my my relationship because um my relationship um with alcohol pretty much stopped around that around that time. And the only time I'd I'd actually drink again, um during that relationship was to try and replace the thoughts that I was having with a different thought. Uh, and I knew the only way to do that was with by drinking because, you know, I was at that moment in my life, I was believing, you know, myself for, for what I, what I was. And, and I, and I, and I believed that everything was revolved around drinking, but unfortunately um, my, the, the OCD and the, and the thoughts and the, the intrusive thoughts, very soon just became an issue in day-to-day life and it got you know it it's it, it, at its worst and it lasted many years um you know probably seven or eight years i was actually having to physically document my every move wherever i went using the iphone notes um at the time i thought it was a bit of a, a blessing to have the, the 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 iphone notes section where you can see the time and date you've written everything but actually it was massive a massive catalyst and it massively fed the 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 kind of the, the obsessive compulsive disorder because I was having to like walk if I you know if I left the house and I seen a, a woman and I walked past her and she walked too close to me I'd have to write in my phone that you know you walked past her you didn't do anything you didn't cheat you didn't do anything unlawful oh, wow. um and, yeah and it was it got it was that bad that I would get home on an on an evening and it'd be you know there'd be between probably 75 and 100 notes written in my phone of, of very similar things. Uh, and I'd read back through them knackered anyway, because along with the intrusive thoughts, I still had the rituals that most people kind of relate OCD to, like the the, the checking and doing things in order. Um, but, you know, I had these intrusive thoughts, but then I also had to deal with that side of things. And some nights it was just taking me like, you know, probably like, 45 minutes to read through all these notes and I still didn't believe myself uh, you know all the time and you know that started on nights out and then it just kept, you know crept into everything and it was that bad you know when I met my wife you know who, my, my partner who's now my wife you know we were she took a massive chance a massive chance on me and she's probably you know she's been that one person that's my driving that you know she's she's been the driving force behind getting me better um and I, I am really, really grateful for her. Um, and, it, you know, to, to this day, it makes me pretty emotional just to think about it. Um, but, you know, I was, you know, I couldn't even go out with her. I couldn't even go for a meal with her and, you know, have a beer. It was like I'd, I'd be writing stuff and she'd just be like, should we just go home? Because it's clearly, you know, you know, in a nice way, it's just too much for you. Like you can't, you've got too many triggers and there's too much going on. 
so yeah, so it was, you know, it was ma- it was massively it was a massive challenge um, with with that side of things, and and you know that continued for years, and 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 I'd look back on the notes, and I still wouldn't believe like a lot of the stuff I'd written, so I'd like still question it, uh, and you know, with these intrusive thoughts, a really really good example of this actually, and and is you know, I, I did a lot of research on it, and I researched. And I, and I found this incredible like document for it was done like a, a t- testing in, in in America, uh, like a clinical test on. They asked thousands of people like about intrusive thoughts, but not people like me who who, who struggle with intrusive thoughts, just just like who you know the, your average person. And 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 like like what you were saying, Lewis, about you know having that rational and, and irrational mind. Um, it's it's sometimes difficult with OCD to to even though you know what's real and what's not because of the thought impacts you so much in 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 you know and it makes you feel like it's the, it's the way it makes you feel like you feel like you've done something yeah. and it and, and it and it flushes you out and and you kind of latch onto that feeling and all of a sudden you actually start to I never believed I'd done any of the things I'd done but my mind would not let me stop thinking it and um, a real common one on that test that they did was. Uh, been at a train station or a bus stop when you walk past somebody and you have the urge to push on. I don't know if you've had that before, but it's like a real common thought. And you know, they say like 30, 40 percent of people have that thought. Um, and you know, I use, I've had that thought multiple times at a train station. Um, and the worst thing about it is I, I I couldn't. You know, I've written in my phone. You know, you've you've walked past the guy. You've not done anything. You didn't hurt him. But I've actually lived the fear and guilt as if I'd physically done it for like three months. So I'd be like, you know, I've, I've hurt someone. I've pushed them onto the tracks and the police are going to come and get me. And then all of a sudden I'm just trapped in this way of thinking. So that's like a real example of, you know, how OCD can really start to catch you out, even though you know deep down that you've never done it. Because everything that it's telling you you're doing is exactly what you'd never do. Yeah, it's really interesting one, that one, just touching on the, the last bit that you just said there, Ollie, about the, um, you know, the urge to push someone because, you know, I mean, I might not want to say this, but there's a thing called uh, like call to the void, uh, which is a little bit the same. Like, you know, when I'm driving, sometimes I think, oh, what if I just threw my car into the like oncoming traffic or, you know, you're standing on a top top of a building and you think, oh, what if I just jumped off here or something you know, like that, you know? Um so it is a really interesting thing. I think, you know, a lot of people probably do struggle with those sort of um, intrusive thoughts, but being able to sort of let it go is something, you know, that we, we where most people would be able to do. I'm just wondering with regards to the OCD, is it still sort of running your life at the moment, is it? Or have you sort of managed to take control of it? And if so, sort of what have you done? Yeah, so I'd say the um, it, it's very much what you've just said is is absolutely spot on. Most people can just label the thought for what it is and just move straight on. Actually, it's just a thought, and you know it doesn't mean anything. You know, I I've had that the one about talking about that definitely. You know, when I've been in a high place, I think a lot of people get that, but you just wouldn't. You just you know you just think oh, it's just a thought, and you kind of just you just move on from it. Um, in relation to to it to to my OCD now. Um, uh, I'm never going to get better. I don't think, um, as in, I'm never going to recover from from this. Like, it, it, it's it's very much a journey of personal recovery, um, and I am I'm living an incredible life now, and I'm, I'm enjoying life, and I love it. And you know, t- to be honest with you, I'm I'm, I'm actually I, I'm grateful that I've been through this because actually it's 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 created something 
that I'd never be able to do. Like I'd never be on this path. I wouldn't be delivering talks to some of the biggest mm. organizations around the world if I hadn't been through what I've been through. So I, I definitely, I don't want, sorry, when I say uh, I'll never get better, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot better, at, you know, than I was because I'm managing it a lot better, but I don't think I'll ever become, you know, totally free from OCD. Um, I, you know, I might be wrong, things might change, but I, 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 you know, I, I kind of know exactly how to manage it now and certain things that, you know, I've had, you know, for the, for the running, for example, um, the running is, is, is every day, you know, I, I, I actually, I hit, 20,000 kilometers uh last week I'd run 20,000 kilometers in five and a half years so I was I've averaged 10 kilometers a day for five and a half years so it's 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 very much you know it's a start it's what you know every day starts with a run and every night is I'm preparing for it because every night before I go to bed I I, I put a pint of water by my bed I leave my kit out my trainers out and as soon as I drink the water I'm straight out the door because I can probably run up to 20 miles with on a pint of water so it's kind of like I know where I'm at with it. Um, and, you know, some days I need some days I need 5K, some days I need 20K and some days I need ridiculous amount of kilometers. But I basically just live, you know, I live for that feeling. And, 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 and some, you know, I think the best way of putting it is, is, is it's almost like OCD is always chasing me. It's always there. It's always hot on my tail. But the further I run, uh, often I can get away. And sometimes I don't need to get as far away because, you know, I, I might not need as longer. So it, it just feels like it's always chasing me. But that's my kind of way way of managing it. And I guess having a bit of a purpose in life now, being able to share my story, talk about OCD, talk about mental health, support hundreds of people, you know, um, through the MHFA, Mental Health First Aid and, and, and all the other stuff that I've, you know, that I'm doing, the bespoke training and things. It, it's, it's different you know my life's totally different now I'm not in I'm not stuck in a job where I'm I'm just kind of it's payday to payday it's like I'm you know I feel like I'm thriving and 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 life life's really good so you know it's it, it, I'm, I feel quite lucky yeah it, it definitely sounds like like you are and it sounds like you've gone on one hell of a journey um what what sounds or what's really resonating with me with what you're saying is I I've joked about having OCD before we've joked about my partner having OCD. We've joked like a joke around friends and it could be just people are very particular with things in the house or want to be clean and tidy. And I, and I feel even my level of understanding is fairly, and this has been really educational for me yeah. because I've always looked at OCD in the sense of, probably what i've just alluded to people who are really organized people who just have to have things a certain way they're very particular about things versus when you actually define the ocd and the obsessive compulsive disorder that the fact that your brain is obsessively thinking about something ocd almost has this very commonly accepted label as what i've said versus the real impact that it can have on people depending on the severity and it's it's probably made me a little bit more scared about what ocd can actually do to people and, and definitely more cautious for me as a, an everyday man around just ban banishing that label around to people are oh, you've got ocd or i've got ocd or, or whatever because actually by the sounds of what it's done to you and how it's impacted your life that's way bigger than just how i've just blase spoke about it in the past 
And yeah, yeah it, and, no, and I, I think I, that's probably a problem for for people who are suffering with OCD. Yeah, well, it's it's it's, it, it, uh, it, it's a problem for, for for people. Yeah, hundred percent. But it's it's certainly not your fault, actually, in any way yeah. at all, Lewis. To be honest with you, because the the problem the problem is 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 it's so often um, there's this massive media misconception about OCD. There's, it's very often trivialised. Um, I'm a little bit older than you guys. I grew up in an era where it was, you know, it was obsessive compulsive cleaners on TV and it was just all about cleaning and, and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden it, it was given this, like this kind of a, a label as if it was a, 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 you know, a clean freak, tidy thing, whatever they used to say. Like, I know they used to use the term, oh, you a clean freak and things like that. But it's like, yeah. you know, obviously it's, it, it, you know, it isn't that. And then also you had people like Beckham, talking about it, you know, lining stuff up and things like that. And, and, and it was, you know, that's when it was really first brought to light. But the, the trouble is with OCD is, is, it is that it ranks in the top 10 most debilitating diseases in the world um, in way of, you know, loss of life, loss of earnings. I honestly believe it's probably the biggest, one of the biggest killers. Um, because if yeah. your mind's telling you that you're something you're not, um, then all of a sudden, uh, and you can't share some of the stuff. Like I speak to, I've spoken to to mothers who have got children who can't bath children because their mind's telling them if they accidentally brushed up against them that they're you know they they could be a sex offender they don't they belong in prison uh, so you know you just think about everything that I've said you know in relation to my morals and everything I'm morally against you know this is yeah. a real common one a real common one for women um, but the difficulty we've got is 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 like you've still to this day you've got um, there was something. There was a bit of uproar in the in the whole um, OCD world uh, around Chloe Kardashian. It's not something I've watched myself, but um, she was talking about having Chloe CD because she lined the table up, and she was really grateful that she would kind of inherited this sort of Chloe CD um, uh, uh, trait from her mother. That you know she's really tidy. She likes to put you know put line things up on the table really neat, and and it, it and, and and actually things like that it started off as a, a big problem because everyone was like, why are you saying that's OCD when then, you know, a lot of, you think about how many followers she's got and then how many people are actually yeah. impacted by OCD. Um, there was a bit of an, like a bit of uproar and, and she, you know, the campaign that she was having, uh, it was removed and it actually taught people a little bit more about what, what OCD really is and like, you know, and how bad it is. But, you know, still to this day, um, you've got like, big clothing companies selling jumpers that say uh, obsessive Christmas disorder with OCD and huge letters on it. And it's like, mm. you know, it's not, it shouldn't, it's not something that you, you wouldn't mock any other disease, would you? You know, you wouldn't have no. like any, you wouldn't mock it. So it's, it's, it's a real strange one, but I don't blame anybody. In, and this is why I love the position I'm in, because actually I don't feel like it's your fault. I don't feel like it's anybody's fault. I actually feel like it's, it, well, I feel like it's, it's more to do with how we've, it's been misconceived. Uh, and yeah. the only thing that we can do is, is start talking about it, um, and, and eventually people are going to have a you know a much better understanding of what it is. And we shouldn't really be using the term a little bit OCD. You hear it all the time, people, yeah. you know, lining their screens up at work, and oh, I'm just a little bit OCD. You, you, you're not a little bit OCD, and and the cleaning one as well. You know, actually, the cleaning one's an interesting one because those people on that program that I used to watch back in the days definitely had OCD but it's not yeah. just someone who wants to keep the house tidy that just takes them five minutes on a day it's someone who spends 10 hours tidying the house constantly even though it's tidy 
it's when it's debilitating when it's a problem that's actually you know that's how you get a diagnosis and unless it's a unless it's a problem it's just a personality quirk yeah and i think that's the real hard thing between people being able to say i have an issue with ocd versus this is just i just have really high standards i'm going to use the cleaning one for an example um, yeah yeah and, and i can imagine that's quite a challenge because there is that misconception within society that ocd is that you're a clean freak how, how do you might not know the answer to this but how do people what is the best way of people trying to say i might need help with this like, how, how is there a way that is there any tools out there that people can do is it best being to a gp like how do people say i think i could have an issue here and how do i get the right help yeah yeah i, I, I mean definitely if you're there's all sorts of you know there's all sorts of incredible re i'm not a professional in, in you know i'm not I, I i'm a professional when it comes to training the stuff but i'm not i'm not a professional like i'm not a, a yeah. gp or a clinical professional so my you know I, i'd always say 100 reach out to me if you need any um any support because i've got a, a, an incredible list of books that are, and and support and different you know um support groups that you could definitely turn to which would be you know incredible um on on kind of helping you better understand it but i think ultimately the first thing you need to do is get to a gp and start that get that ball rolling because it can take a long time uh, and you want to you want to try and find out you know you want to if you can get you want to see if you can get if it's something that would be diagnosed or it could be you know something you know it could be something different and um you know and, and then getting that right that right support the downside to it um and um i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure dean's i've listened to one of the podcasts and i'm sure dean is um a, a fan of cbt if I'm, am i right in saying that dean um uh, was it I, is, or was it was it dean who, who, who was it it was christian i believe who's done cbt the most uh, in the group oh uh, uh, okay so is he not on today no no christian's normally the producer um but uh, um, we'll, uh, we'll call him out here he he dropped out i think he voted no about half an hour before the pod went on so that's just a call out for christian mate because <laughs> obviously he would have been oh, great okay. to be on for you and he's ruined the yes. full episode for you so but we'll put that sorry out dean him. yeah sorry dean i didn't know if it was you uh, i didn't no, know sorry, if, if it was you um but yeah I, I, you know a lot of a lot of people you know will really um will re will kind of say how important and incredible cbt has been for them but actually with ocd it can have the total opposite effect and it can be really really damaging uh, and cbt is something that's used um predominantly through the nhs because it's i think it's the most successful um therapy that that would work across the board but um with ocd uh, it's not really uh, always very safe to sit with the thoughts that you're having and that's what they expect you to do it's all about exposing you know that thought and sitting there and but actually it can be really damaging and 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 you know and and top therapists that treat ocd would would always use um erp which is called ex exposure response prevention um uh, it's a real incredible gold standard ocd treatment it's about kind of um exposing the thought for what it is and how you respond to it and then how you kind of prevent it coming back uh, and there's a book that um you know a lot of the reason why i talk about this book so much is because a lot of therapists um will ask you to read the book before actually paying for therapy because they say you might not need it uh, and 
I didn't believe the first guy that told me, and he was one of the best uh, in, in, you know, one of the most respected OCD therapists. Um, Cause I was getting to a stage where I needed to find whoever the best people were. And he said, yeah. go and read this book first. And it actually put me off because I'd rather have just paid to see him than he could have talked me through stuff. Cause I didn't want to read. I couldn't read because of my OCD. And I didn't really, you know, the audible side of it wasn't spoke of. So like listening to it, which is something that I rely on now because I can't read because my mind's constantly, it's too busy. Like the ADHD, the OCD, I can't, I can't focus on what I'm meant to be doing. Um, and I went to another guy and he said, have you read this book? And I said, that's what the other guy said to me. Uh, he said, well, I'm not, until you've read the book, I'm not, treat, I'm not treating you because you might not need it. And I was like, well, I'm going to have to read this book. Anyway, so I read the book and it's unreal. It's like the best thing ever. It's like, you know, if you've got OCD, you might, especially if, it, if you've got the rituals and the routines and the stuff like that. I know people that have just, you know, overcome that side of things within a matter of like three or four weeks just by listening, just by using this book. And what it teaches you to do is it's like a four, it's like a four part procedure. And it teaches you to like relabel, reattribute, refocus and revalue. So when you get a thought, you just relabel it as a it's an obsessive compulsive thought. I've got OCD, it's an obsessive thought. Um, and that's and, and and then when you reattribute it, you, you you're basically saying it's just OCD, it's just OCD. And then you you refocus and you re, you switch the focus from the thought onto something else. Um it's quite funny actually because I I, I used um for like three years when I was really really poorly I'd had I had a place on the London Marathon but it kept on getting moved because of COVID and I used yeah. to like re I used to switch my focus onto running down the you know the mall and finishing the the London Marathon and I was crying I was like you know I'd think about how incredible the feeling was going to be and um and then and then I actually when I actually ran the race um yeah it felt like I'd done it like 45 million times like, <laughs> I, I had no emotion i was like i've been here so many times yeah. it was quite funny but then what you do then is you, you revalue the whole thing so you just you kind of your, your final part of it is you, you just you know you, you basically say it's just it's just an obsession and a compulsion and it has no meaning to anything it's just it's, it has no meaning to life it's just nothing and then you just keep practicing that over and over again yeah, and I went through it millions of times, probably because I was having a thought every 20 seconds and then I was doing it. And then eventually it started to get easier. Um, so if anyone's struggling, uh, the book's called Brain Lock. It's by Jeffrey Schwartz. Um, and if you've got OCD or you think you've got OCD or anything that I've said tonight makes you feel like actually, because again, not everybody, uh, not everybody kind of... Um, knows what OCD is so a lot of people don't even get diagnosed for that exact reason because they think it's something like a, a bit of fun like a, a, a like, I don't know it's like a, a little joke or like a joke of a quirk or something do you know what I mean that it's always made yeah. a joke of isn't it so it's like people don't get it it's definitely um just back to what Lou was saying before it's definitely sort of opened my eyes to it as well because you know before this conversation it was purely for me was the the cleaning thing you know um thinking that everyone with OCD just wants to keep things clean so um I'm just really keen to touch on the the other part that you're talking about which is the ADHD um yeah the further in my life that I've got on the more I'm realizing I've probably got something similar um, if not yeah, actually too. ADHD. Um, and I'm keen because something that I had sort of said to my wife that would I'd get looked into, but it's just 
seems like such a hassle to get it actually done. And then even if I got diagnosed, what good could come of it anyways? Because like I, I can I get on all right in my life now as it is. So just keen, obviously, you know, yours is a late diagnosis, as you were saying, only sort of a year, two years ago. Um, how that come about, um, sort of what you've learned from it and sort of, you know, whether or not you'd recommend people, you know, looking in to see if they do have it, if, if they do have the suspicion. So, uh, yeah, just keen to see what you've got to say, mate. Yeah, definitely, mate. And uh, you know what? It was it was when I started my business, I knew prior to that I was working a job which was quite, I'd say, like repetitive in a way that I could, it, it was busy all the time and I just could just carry on. And if I wanted to stand up for two minutes, I could and go to the toilet, get a drink, whatever. Um, but when I set up my own business, I was I was finding quite quickly that I was um, I was opening my laptop in on the morning and I knew I had loads to do. And it'd be like 9 a.m. And then the next minute I'd look and it'd be like three, four in the afternoon. And I hadn't done anything, like apart from pos- probably order about 20 things off Amazon, spent like money that I didn't really need to spend on stuff. Um, and, you know, I was thinking, like, why can't I, why can't I just focus on these tasks? And then the only time I seemed to perform was when it was the day before and I had to get it done by the next mm. day, which is really common with ADHD. Um but there was all sorts of telltale signs, you know, growing up, like I was, I couldn't keep still in class. Um, but the problem I had, and I think the reason why it wasn't addressed is because I was really nice as a kid. Like the teachers loved me. Like, I, you know, if I wasn't, if I wasn't in a class because I wasn't allowed in it or I was, I'd done something, it was never like malicious. It was always just a little bit like mischievous. And I was just, mm. you know, I'd spend some lunchtime, I'd say spend Sundays just cooking with the you know with the with the um the dinner ladies and like you know getting everything ready for the breaks when I could when they, were, they didn't want me in class and you know I was just messing around um so I think because because it wasn't what it used to be looked at as been like a real behavioral problem so like I, even though I was I had a behavioral problem it was more I wasn't like a naughty kid naughty naughty yeah. like really like yeah, so I, I think that's the reason why it was very much overlooked. And again, going back to what I said earlier, I don't think really pe- pe- parents really wanted their kids to be labelled back then. There was very few people that I knew who who, who clearly had it, you know, growing up um, that were labelled uh, unless they were, you know, at a stage where they were on, you know, were on medis- medication because have, have been kind of it been brought to light when they were very very young. Um, but yeah, that was. You know, there was massive signs growing up. And you know what? I went to the doctors and 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 I said, you know, I need to, you know, address this. I, I, it was actually a girl who I work with, Kate, who we've, we've, we've kind of joined forces. We've both got very similar businesses and we just work together and we support each other. Um, and she said to me, like, if you looked at if you looked at ADHD and I was like, yeah, as a kid, I thought I definitely had it. And she was telling me all this stuff and I started to like research it like I did with the OCD. And all of a sudden I was like, yeah, this is it's quite apparent. I've probably got it. And I did one of them tests online that you can do. And I'm not saying these are the the, the things to do because it's not always the case. You know, you you, you, you always want to get a diagnosis, of, you know, and, and see a professional. But, you know, I, I, I scored really high. So I ended up going to um, I thought I'm not I spoke to a doctor. It was like two years, two, two to three year wait. I was like, forget that. I said, I'm, I'm not waiting another three years, you know, like I had done in the past, because um, I knew where that got me. It got me to a stage where I didn't want to be there anymore. And I was, you know, I was having suicidal thoughts. So I was just like, I need to see someone straight away. And it cost me £800 to see a specialist in London. I, I again, found the best person. 
I'd found a friend of mine who had ADHD too, who'd been diagnosed later on in life, um, had told me about this guy and he was like, you want to you go and see him, he's incredible. So I went to see him and, and yeah, it cost me 800 pounds, I think it cost me 200 pounds for a follow-up session and 130 pounds for the medication uh, for the first time around before I could get it put onto my, my repeat prescription from my doctors. Um, so you're probably looking at like 1100 quid altogether, but it's the best money I've ever spent in my life. Um, I sat down with him. We did all the testing. You know, he, 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 I'd got my diagnosis quite quickly and, and he put me on medication. Um, it was funny, actually, when I was there, because I said to him, like, I said, look, I've run every day. Like, you don't don't be putting me on anything that's just going to, like, you know, like tranquilize me or something. I just suddenly wouldn't be able to do anything. And he was like, yeah. no, nah, I was just like, he said it was it was so funny. He literally he pulled me, pulled me close to me, went, he goes, these are performance enhancing drugs. He says, wow. if anything, you're going to get. If anything, you're going to get faster. <laughs> and honest to God, I ran the race them. on Sunday. I ran the race of my life. I, I did on that same Sunday. I did the Leeds half marathon, um, and it's a hilly course. And I ran a four-minute PB. And I, you know, I was, I was, Love I wasn't you. even. A, I was, in, I was in between the elite and the like, in, in between the elite and the the kind of decent runners. It was weird. I was like miles out there on my own. I was nowhere near the really, really good guys, but. I was like, what is going on? I was like so focused. But, you know, I don't know if that's if that was it. And I hope no one listens listens from the race. Or anything. Yeah. Anything. But, um, but yeah, it was, you know, that's been for me. He put me on the medication and the, the best the best advice he gave me was you have to start. So, you know, you can't expect the, the drugs to just do the work for you. And, and, and what he meant by that is, is as soon as you take your tablet, get going on your work and start working and that's what I've been doing and and I can just you know I, I get about six or seven hours out of it and I can focus and I can con I can concentrate and I've never been as creative or I've never fought like I had and even like the OCD stuff like literally um I, I honestly believe that the two are for me especially I don't know how how I know that they can you know they can be there a lot you know it's often for, for different mental illnesses to coexist, uh, you know, along alongside each other. And I know ADHD is more like a neurodiverse thing, but definitely the two were playing part and parcel because I, I, I all of a sudden, from that medication, I became more in control of my thoughts. So those thoughts that used to get me and catch me out weren't having as much damage. I was able to control them better. So it's really yeah. interesting, really, like how the difference it's made to my life. What tablets are they? Is it Adderall or Ritalin, <laughs> is it, or...? Uh, it's called they're called L Vans. Um, I think they're like a um, I think they're like an amphetamine or something. Um, mm. I think if you don't, I think if you don't, um, if you don't have uh, this the, the, any of the, the the kind of ADHD symptoms, I think they have a totally different effect. I think you'd be yeah. absolutely buzzing. Um, well, when I was in uh, when I was in Thailand, you can get Adderall and Ritalin over the counter. Um, and my friends wow. were like, oh, let's get let's get some of that. And I was like, why? They're like, oh, it gives you a buzz. They were like, it's for ADHD. But if you're uh, if you don't have it, it gives you a real buzz. It's like green on coke. So I was uh, I was like, all right. So I took two. We're all sitting around. Everyone's buzzing. I'm just chilled as anything. Just <laughs> really calm. Yeah, there you go then. Yeah, that's your diagnosis, so... mate. That's your diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. To be fair, Dean, I didn't know you were actually looking at that as a, a potential option because I went for, I haven't spoke to anyone other than my partner about this, last 
Thursday or Friday. I went for my first initial conversation with the doctor about ADHD, actually. Um, so I, the first step is I have to fill out some like online questionnaire thing. Um, so the NHS waiting list is two years, but there's a a private company who con- NHS contract to where I think I can get seen in three to six months. Um, first thing I've got to yeah, fill well, out. Like, you can say something, can't you, to skip the queue. I think there's a way of doing it now. Um, yeah. Uh, but I think you, you do right. And if you, if you feel like you had them signs and symptoms growing up, I you might not even need medication. You might need just a better understanding and some support. And, you know, all, all I want now is like I've got my medication and I know that works for me. And not everyone's going to need medication. But what you can get, you know, once you've got a diagnosis is you can you can apply you know for like adhd coaching you can apply for stuff that you know you know i'm, I'm applying for an adhd coach uh, I've, I've applied for you know stuff to help me that you can potentially claim like um yeah. one of the one of the big problems with adhd is like no note taking you write loads of notes but you've got a million books and you never know where you've written it and then you like leave things everywhere oh, that like, is where me. did i write the notes and you never know that what you're me. doing yeah you know what i mean so you can get the, the one of the things that they provide you with, you know, through um, I think it's like I think it's action for work or something, is they can give you like um, they can they give you like a, one of them remarkable tablets, you know, them ones where they're like it's like writing on paper, but then it's like saves it to like documents. So it's like they're really cool. They're called remarkable too. Um, yeah. That's one of the things they talk about. So there's all these incredible things, you know, you can you, you can get certain headphones like for 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 focus and things like that, you know, like having yeah and everything like that so there's all sorts of cool stuff like them desks as well you can stand up to so it's it's really worth exploring that and i wouldn't be put off by you know getting a later diagnosis because actually there's a lot of people doing it now and it's been it's been brought to light and a lot of people are you know trying to seek that uh that understanding about it it you know it it, it, it'll explain a lot to you as to why you've done, you you behave in certain ways and you do certain things and you might be a little bit more erratic at times and and things like that i think it's just i think i think I, you know if you if you thought you had it as a child definitely definitely explore it yeah uh thanks for opening up about the adhd um i think especially for me that's killed the stigma completely because yeah i feel like no one wants to be or have adhd and people might refuse to go and get it checked up because they don't want to have that label that they've got it. But from what you've said, it really seems like getting that diagnosis is like it's been good. It turned you, like, turned you really into good. an athlete who's going to get into the Olympics. Yeah. It's great, mate. Yeah, you're out. Yeah. Actually flying. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I, I say it's really, really good. Like, and I, I hope I hope a lot of the listeners uh, who who might be going like the same like Dean's going through and that like, you've been through, like, will actually follow up on it. You get checked out because I mean it works wonders by the yeah. sounds of it. Uh, just having that diagnosis. Um, I, I wanted to go back to where you uh, you were talking about um, your OCD now and how you won't get better, but you go running every day um, and you feel like you might be running away from that OCD. Um, would you say that the running is a compulsion now, or is it something that you do to avoid the OCD? Mate, your questions are fantastic. Uh, people ask me, uh, people, people ask me um, that question all the time as well. And you know what? Um, for my wife, initially, I'd say she thought it was 
So it's just another phase that's just going to be, you know, like like when I started cycling uh, and I and I had literally, I was the slowest cyclist on the road, but I looked like I was about to compete in the Tour de France because I had every single bit of kit, kit <laughs> going. Idea, no every, idea. Every little thing. Um, or exactly, all the gear, no idea. But actually running um, now, nah, there's, there's, there's just way more to that uh, now. And uh, uh, maybe initially uh, I would have said, it had the potential because it was, you know, became really, really, I became very obsessive it very quickly. Um, but, you know, now it's, there's, there is, there is days I don't want to go running, but I just know that's going to make me feel better. So it's not, it's more about, it's more about giving myself a better chance rather than saying, you know, rather than it, it rather than letting my thoughts kind of sink in and, uh, so I, I don't, I don't think it is now. Um, maybe there's levels, uh, there's, you know, it's part of my addictive personality. But I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't say um, it's one of, it, it, it's one of my, like, it falls into that category. Yeah. Yeah. So in in terms of you, where you are today, it, where are you with with your mental health, and where are you with how you? you manage yourself other than running is there anything that that keeps you on track to, to to keep on top of sort of how you're feeling and and some of the challenges that you have yeah really good question i, I, I at this moment in, in uh, you know I, i'd say i was probably the the best i've been in a long time uh, and i i go through stages with um with anxiety and depression and there's certainly times where the thoughts do get to me again. And when they do, you know, it can be a case of being stuck with it, with like, you know, thinking uh, or stuck with a specific thought or an, a specific as such, like it might be the cheating or it might be hurting someone or it might be, and I might get caught up in it. And it, and a lot of the times it, it reverts back to old thoughts that I, I feel like I've overcome. But actually, with OCD, they always just stay there. They're always in the back of your mind. So, you know, there can be triggers. I can go back to to where I grew up, like, and, and, and I might see someone and then they might have been a part of one of my, you know, one of my, what happens if you've done something with them? And all of a sudden you're thinking about that again and you can get stuck with it. Um, but what's really good about, like, the way, the kind of, the way I've changed my life for the better, through the running, through eating healthier, through being fitter, through having a better understanding of, of, of mental illness, like by, by years, literally listening to books about, about it and understanding it better, listening to podcasts, you know, like your, your, you know, like your guys are doing, it's incredible that the conversations you had, like, uh, you know, I love the conversation you had with James Lindsay, um, you know, last month, it was really interesting and an incredible you know, story and what a great guy and what, what he's overcome and what he's been through yeah. and all very much like me not necessarily overcome but he's, he's managing and he's and he's and he's you know he's he's found a way to deal with things better and that's the same very much you know very much the same for me i learned a lot i've learned i've listened to a lot of books but most importantly i think the biggest thing for me was three and a half years ago when i i, I adopted the motto learn to become comfortable feeling uncomfortable and at that stage in my life, I was I was certainly starting to understand my mental illness a lot better, but I wasn't I wasn't making sort of like actionable changes or doing the things that maybe I should have done. And a lot of it is down to you know actually putting yourself back in the mix because I went missing for ten years. Like people, you know, I've I've been out for 
um, for drinks last weekend and people were like where have you been like do you know what i mean it's like i, I literally went off off the i actually ran away to spain initially i took a job over there and i had to come back so i was having you know i was having suicidal thoughts and, and i moved back to my family home for a bit and i didn't see anybody um but learning to become comfortable uh, feeling uncomfortable um it, it started off by you know doing the things that mine was telling me i couldn't and and it it was you know simple things that a lot of people take for granted. Like there was a period of ten years of my life that I couldn't go and have a pint with my dad in a pub, which is heartbreaking, yeah. really, because my dad's probably like my best mate. And actually, I couldn't do them things. I go and have a, and it was about putting myself back in them positions. And still to this day, I look back and going out for you know for a beer with my dad three years ago is probably one of the greatest achievements I've I've had in the whole time I've done you know you know the whole time I've I've been through what I've been through um but then yeah. it started to be you know real big things like putting myself you know in, in into real the, the most I think the most challenging thing I could have done back then was to speak about my journey on stage and there was an opportunity at my old workplace and it was called like the untold stories of the business and and they asked if I'd do it and I said I'd do it and I did it and actually you know that was quite a big um that 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 started something pretty big for me because I I shared my story in front of about 300 people in person and wow the the anxiety I had that was with it was was brutal it was probably the worst I'd, I'd ever felt but but actually that was you know that was a turning point and after that they they sort of said to me like what what can we do to support you we want you to become a speaker like and it was nothing to do with my role my role there was just in social media uh, they were like what can we pay for you to go on a course we want to back you we want to support you and then from there you know because i you know i, I put myself in that really uncomfortable position you know i started yeah. to become more comfortable in in other positions and you know i, I did i was delivering talks to, to you know to around the business from there and then and then you know my first few talks you know i'm not and this isn't me saying yo look at me i'm because i'm really not that sort of person but you know i was you know my first like two or three talks were for to like burberry they were to microsoft and then i did a talk to universities over in in new mexico and albuquerque and it's like what is happening like how's you know how yeah, is this yeah. happening that's just purely because i was I allowed myself to put myself back into that position that you know i was actually most terrified of and that's what i'd encourage anybody to do um to 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 you know an extent and it's difficult to take them first steps but as soon as you start to you know put yourself back in the mix you know it's going to take time like it took time for me it took probably took me you know three years to, to get to a stage where i'm you know i can actually go for a drink with people again and 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 over the last year or so maybe that's you know where i'm at but you know you've got to put yourself back in the mix sometimes yeah absolutely i think what I, I've taken from what you've said tonight, it's what one I'd like to describe myself as the everyman. Obviously, that's the name of our podcast. I'm just a normal bloke. I, I absolutely got OCD wrong. Um, and I've learned loads and it makes me feel like there's so much more within this conversation and this topic that we need to, to cover more because what you're describing in terms of how you now speaking publicly is giving you that purpose that drive to really overcome your personal challenges because helping people is is actually what it's all about like there's no better feeling than helping someone and seeing someone really resonate with what you're saying and, and you can feel the impact you have on their life and that's essentially what 
what we're trying to do, right? We're just a normal group of 23 if you're James to 32 if you're Dean. We, we've lost a few along the way. But there's, there's sort of nine, ten of us who, who run this pod of a group of lads who are just trying to make a difference by getting amazing people like yourself on to talk about your lived experience in the hope that someone else will hear and go, do you know what? If Ollie's done this and he's overcame that challenge that I'm struggling with today, then hopefully then I can do it too. Then and in listening to people like you and some of our other guests to say, this is my experience. This is how I've overcome it. And through the mixture of all the different conversations, there's real common themes of things that help people overcome uh, their mental health. It's things like speaking up about how you're feeling, exercising, getting out, learning, doing your research on on yourself, not just going through the motions of, I feel shit, my life is really shit, I don't know what to do, I, I'm really struggling, where we've all definitely been in that situation where you don't know where to go what to do what you can do actually just taking some sort of action whether it's talking moving learning those sorts of things really can have and it's and it's that i can't remember what guest it was that they mentioned something around that the first step is that is the most important it doesn't matter about the journey you're not trying to get 10 miles you're just trying to get one step closer to where you want to get to. And it's that idea. Yeah. That, and, and you mentioned it, you mentioned it earlier that it's actually a journey. You're looking at your the rest of your life as a journey and not as ultimately a destination because you you don't believe that you're ever going to truly overcome this. But the rest of your life is yeah. being on top of it. And, and that acceptance, because I'm absolutely in that place with my own mental health, I will never be what I perceived I ever was. So I always used to think, oh, I'm perfect, life's fine, I'm okay. Now that I know that I have my own challenges, I'm not ever trying to get to perfect. I'm just trying to get to, I'm on top of my shit every single day. And tomorrow, I hope I'm just as equally on top of it and the next day. And that's the process. And life becomes way more manageable in this situation versus trying to be that all the, the world is perfect. Yeah, I think um, I think one of the biggest um, one of the biggest problems that a lot of people face, and I certainly face this myself, is you, you you're always wanting to to get back to that person that you were before. When actually, mm -hmm. um, for me, I'd never want to go back to that person I was before. Like the person made me, and the person I've become is mm -hmm. a million times stronger. Um, yeah. A million times more knowledgeable, and 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 I'm I'm now someone who can potentially make a massive massive impact to you know to to so many people's lives just by by sharing my story and, and talking like you said you know having that first conversation with my boss six years ago about my mental yeah. health one of the first people i spoke to and actually saying to him like look i can't actually see my screen all i see is false like i can't physically see it and his response was take three months off and we'll pay you and i was like that's unbelievable and actually having that conversation allowed me then to start you know I started to, I set up Run For Your Mind a month after I discovered running. I started, you know, been a bit of a, you know, one of them people who were a bit kind of um, mysterious. I wasn't really showing my face. I was doing like drone footage of me like running. Like I bought this silly drone. He used to follow me on my runs. And, um, and you know, I was just blogging like about what I was going through, talking about it. 
And then suddenly we've created this community and everyone's talking about stuff. And then it doesn't have to necessarily be about running. People are coming to me how they're like walking, they're like cycling, they're like reading books. They're like, it's about finding something and, and focusing on it. And then, you know, giving yourself that that chance. And, you know, run for your mind now is I've met incredible people along the way. I've delivered talks to, you know, to, to thousands and thousands of people and, 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 and now delivering training through lights on mental health, which is my business. Um, yeah. And, now, we've just launched me and a friend of mine who's a, a motivational speaker as well who i'm not sure about the term motivational speaker for myself like it's one of them that's a strange it doesn't sit <laughs> sit too well i always feel like people think they're going to be doing like front flips out of the room when i when i leave and it's not the case but i certainly uh I, I motivate them in a way that you know i, I inspire them to, to to think differently and and you know and to start having these conversations encourage it but yeah we just launched a business called 100 talks for change and we're actually heading out in September to October, 20 days of delivering 100 talks across the UK to, to schools, 50 different schools, uh, starting in Newcastle, finishing in London uh, on World Mental Health Awareness Day. And, you know, we're going to be, you know, it's creating opportunities that I could, could have never dreamt of. And I've never thought I'd be doing something like this, but it's, it's all meant to be. So, you know, don't always look for going back and trying to be that person you were. Just just figure life out and, and and whatever you know you become you're probably going to prefer that anyway like in the long term but you've you've you know you've got to you know you've got to you've got to be hopeful that's the most important thing like hope for me was the absolute key to 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 my recovery like it, you know been hopeful uh, at all times even though when i didn't want to be here and it was a lot i've been you know a lot of periods where you know i was I was having suicidal ideation, ideation and I really didn't, I didn't see um, a way out, but I, I did remain hopeful. Um, I always felt like, you know, the brighter days would come. Um, so you hold on to hope, you know, find something, focus on something and then, and just learn, uh, you know, do you do what you can to try and learn more about what, what, what you're going through and, 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 read books or, or listen to books if you've got OCD you're going to struggle to read so just listen to audio audio, audio books or podcasts and things like that and, and start to learn about it because you're not alone with it you feel so alone you think no one else is going to be having them thoughts you're having because they're just so they're so brutal um but trust me like I've met like hundreds of people now that are going through exactly the same thing as me and it makes you feel so much so much less alone and you, you, you know, it gives you it really just give you that strength to keep going and keep moving forwards. I think you're definitely yeah. right there talking about um, or just opening up. We've learned that on this podcast a lot that, um, you know, some of the thoughts and feelings that we have with self when we've spoken, just had other people coming on, you realize that like, you you know, you're not alone. So, you know, there'll be a lot of, a lot of people that have been really moved and, you know, have a lot of good information from yourself today. So I really appreciate you sharing. Um, just, you know, you just mentioned a podcast. We do a little um, sort of segue on this, on this podcast, uh, which is called Hear No Evil, See No Evil, or See No Evil, Hear No Evil, one, one of the two, um, <laughs> which is basically we ask our, a guest for a podcast or a book, um, that they would recommend. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be, I know you've given us brain luck for like, you know, the OCD, um, but maybe just a podcast or a, or a book that you listen to that you could, you know, maybe recommend to our listeners. Yeah, I think I think the the, the podcast that I probably listen to the most um, would be um, the Diary of a CEO from, with Stephen yeah. Bartlett. And I do feel like some of his, I feel like he could do with going on, um, 
like one of the courses to to learn a little bit more about like the the the, the certain terminology and stuff. And I think he openly admits that he doesn't always, you know, he doesn't always say the right thing at the right time. But I think that in itself has been quite nice to see because he's definitely he definitely is a little bit more cautious now, like certain terminology um that people don't want to talk uh, you know talk about i think he used the word commit suicide once in a in one of his um podcasts and it's just yeah. a term we don't we don't use because it's you know it was it used to be a crime until the 60s and now it's you know it's not and it's just it's one of them terms that we're so used to saying but you know it's just having that understanding and not using it but what what he does is you know he brings people in um you know you some of them people that he has on there, like for example, like Roman Kemp when he was on there, it was incredible listening to you know what he'd been through. And I don't know if you've seen this, the, the the documentary he did, but um, he lost his his close friend to to suicide, and and it was you know it was it was he believed that had he had asked him how he was, he'd have probably been able to save his life because Roman was struggling with his mental health, and he openly admits he struggled but he was talking to his friend about it but he never said to him are you you know his friend are you how are you doing and it was actually you know his friend was one of his biggest supporters he's helped him through all, all these all the stuff he went through and 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 made him feel much better and then actually he was the one who was you know suffering the most so i feel like that's it i feel like you know something like that listening to that there's always guests and they're always talking about mental health now and it's great you know it's, the conversation's changing um uh, and in relation to books, um, there is there's a book that I read called um, The Man Who Couldn't Stop, um, and it's it's about OCD, and it's written by someone called um, David Adams, and it's a book about it, it just it just puts OCD into perspective, and it talks about different people with OCD like around the world and how much it had impacted them, and some of the stories are like really far fetched, and that but they're actually true. Like there was a guy over. I forget where it was somewhere I think it was somewhere in the Middle East and he was eating he was basically he lived in like like a this like mud it was years ago and he lived in this like mud hut but he was convinced that if he didn't eat the mud from the hut that you know that something bad was going to happen and his whole family were going to die and yeah he was eating bits of the you know became very poorly from it and you know there's all sorts of stuff with with OCD like there was there was someone in there that was you know convinced they had AIDS like they and they would like you know they would they would not be able to touch anything or uh and you know which is a real common one again so it's just, it kind of gives you a bit of an insight to all the different sorts of types of OCD um or not types as such sorry probably the wrong term but like different ways it can impact people it's a really interesting book so definitely look at that one too yeah I'll definitely have a look at that book um and I, I wanted to touch on something that yeah you mentioned before we started uh, recording uh, we were talking about how much time off uh, you don't really take bank holidays off um, and uh, usually you'll just have like the Saturday off uh, so and, and you said one thing which I've written down uh, which is if you give yourself time to think you're screwed uh, <laughs> uh, so I thought it was like pretty deep like, I was thinking like are you not just exhausted all the time like trying to keep yourself busy not giving yourself that time off or or is it yeah like, are you comfortable with it no, yeah, I mean it's 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 a difficult one. Um, I my job previously previous to what I do now was working in the gambling industry. So I I never I always worked Sundays. I always worked Mondays uh, for bank holidays because they were the biggest days. You know, Monday massive day in the in the sporting calendar for the racing and uh, and Sundays the same. Um, and 
and you know I actually still um I still help I still hold on to one day at my old job because of the um the sky tv um and <laughs> I get I get a I get a sky full sky package and you get gym membership and I'm on the I'm on the minimum contract and I just have to yeah I just I just I'm, I'm just at the minute it's a little bit I'm at a stage now where I know I need to leave because I'm I'm, my business is picking up and everything's going great but it's a Sunday where I just watch football all day and I don't like Sundays because whenever I have to take a Sunday off because my miss, my missus makes me take one off like you just end up sitting there eating loads and watching football all day so I mean I know to some people that sounds great but for me it isn't ideal when I can literally sit here uh, you know on a Sunday watch football all day because that's my job because I'm tweeting about football uh, and um, you know, and and eat if I want. So it's like I, you know, I'm busy and I'm kept busy, and there's always something to do. So I need to let go of of, of working for, for with Skybet. But you know what? They have been the most unbelievable company to work for. They've supported me through every single thing I've been through. They incorporated running breaks into my my shift whenever when I went back off long term sick. They've paid me to go on to public, you know, motivational speaking courses. They've they've um, They've, they've, they've done a documentary on me. Um, it's been one of the most like, you know, I, you know, I, I know a lot of businesses don't really get kind of the right sort of, um, it's quite a lot of negative stuff on, on mental illness. But I can, just, I can tell you, my story with Skybet has been ridiculously good and they've literally, they've supported me through everything and they continue to support me. And, you know, for the sake of doing one day a week, uh, getting all the package uh, that I get, and you know it's worth it. You know that you you can you know it's, it's it's kind of it's worth it. And I know I think I need to step away because it's just I'm working probably 55, 60 hours a week. Um, but yeah, I'm sure I'm sure the time will come and uh, and and I'll and I'll find a way out. But it's just it's just I just find it easier. It's easier for me to cope uh, with what's going on and and keep it keeping busy is the key really. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely something that I've ex- experienced too. Where I need to be, I need to be busy in order to almost feel at peace. It's it's a weird thing. Uh, if I'm not busy, I feel like I have like an itch and an urge that I have to just do something, and like all this like trapped energy that needs to just be released to do stuff. So, yeah, I, I definitely feel you on that one. Ollie. Um, Ollie, we are coming to the end of the podcast. Um, we are getting messages. Um, Dean, I'll call you out on it. <laughs> he needs to wrap up. I have to be honest, my missus is, uh, my my little one's not very well either. And she has just said, Luke, can you come and help? So um, we usually do about an hour, hour and a half anyway. So we are well within uh, around the sort of time that we would usually wrap up. Ollie, what, what I want to say though, um, you have been super educational. You are hugely inspirational for what you've overcome and, and where you are today. Um, you've been an incredible guest, mate. I, I've learned so much and, and and I'm sure all of our listeners will too. So thank you very much for, for coming on, boys. Is there anything else you, you would like to add to, to Ollie? I'll just uh, give a quick excuse for throwing us under the bus there, but we just—I just got married uh, what a week ago, and uh, we're trying for a baby. And if I'm not in by ten o'clock, we're not trying tonight. So that's why I'm in a rush to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, Ollie, uh, honestly, un- 
unbelievable. Like, uh, I didn't really know what to expect. I, I read a little bit about your story beforehand, but it's really inspirational, mate, especially hearing that, you yeah. know, that you, although, you know, you haven't fully rec- recovered, but you made really good steps and, and you know, you, you're sort of happy where you are, where you, where you are today. So um, it's great. I'm, I'm sure that will have some listeners that, you know, can take stuff from this. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, just yeah, thanks for sharing, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, and congratulations, mate, on the on the wedding. And um, yeah, I, thanks, I, I've mate. seen good, and good luck. And good luck tonight. Yeah, uh, <laughs> go get it, mate. Go get it, chap. I might need it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, you I'll, did see I'll, pictures. I'll I'll finish on my, my note. Uh, I I do want to say you are uh, an inspiration. I've learned a lot today. Um, I think what you've done is really good. Um. What will you be through as well? Like having the OCT, but also battling with the stress, anxiety, depression, and your your whole outlook on life. Uh, it's like it is really inspirational. Uh, like hats off to you. Uh, you've done yeah, really well. So it. thank you, thank you for speaking thank- to us. Yeah, thanks a lot, mate. Appreciate it. And you don't, yeah, exactly. You don't need to necessarily overcome anything. You can manage it, and if you can, you know, if you can find a way to live with it and deal with it, and you know, it it can often. Be that all you need to really to keep going so yeah just remember that i'd say uh but thanks guys appreciate it and um i'm sure we'll catch up again soon yeah i appreciate it a lot mate thank you cheers man cheers